welcome to episode four of Clacks Women for Independence podcast. In our last podcast, we told you that the Yes Clacks event, Yes in the Community, was coming up. And here we are today on location in Alloa with a selection of interviews from the event, including the deputy leader of the SNP, Keith Brown, and the co-leader of the Scottish Greens, Lorna Slater, hear about one Claxman's bid to use Scots law as a secret weapon in the fight to rescue our democracy from tinpot dictator Johnson. And uh, musical clips in this episode were recorded from the live performance from the fabulous Graham Brown band and the crowd sing-along at the event. Um, hope you enjoy it. Right, here we are at the Bomar Centre. We've had our procession through Alloa, which was bigger than we thought it might have been. It was good. Plenty of people waving at the streets, lots of cars peeping as well. So a really good start. And the Bomar Centre is absolutely heaving, which is wonderful. So here we've got um, Amanda Brown, who's uh, a regular at a lot of indie marches. If you've been to any, you've probably seen her up on stage. So Amanda, have you been to Alloa before? Um, my auntie uh, comes from Alva and my granny oh. is from Socky, so... You're a local a, girl! Yes, I have a connection. <laughs> I, have, I don't spend a lot of time here um, because as, as a youngster I used to come and school holidays and things like that. Mm. But um, So this is the first time as an adult, really, I've managed to see Alloa as a town. And what a pretty little town it is as well. It's really nice, really nice. It's lovely. And it, we were just saying on the march just this morning, you can get the entire town in about 10 minutes, so it's quite good. Yeah, Absolutely, it reminds me of Dunfermline a little bit. Very quaint, um, full of its own history, you know, so it is, it is lovely. Really nice march, really good. Okay. And the locals, I have to say, came out in force in the windows and things like that. We were waving, laughing, yeah. smiling at them. It was a very happy affair as every, every march really yeah. is. So. It's great when you get the cars tooting as well and the band make a big difference to yeah, lead it off. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think the, um, the pipe band is probably the highlight of most people's marches now mm-hmm. because it's... <laughs> It's just so uplifting and it's so passionate. And of course, I've seen them all week um, in Catalonia and they did us so proud. I've never been more proud than I have been by sharing some of those videos from some of the people in Catalonia that I became friends with as well. Um, you know, it's been a, a proud moment and to have them back with us today in such a, a little place, but such a beautiful place too. It's, yeah. it's, it's been good. And it, it, was, it, was, it was such an uplifting feeling to see that our guys were across there supporting them just as they would us. Um, and and I, I have to admit, as well that I was in the Glasgow March and um, I think it was 2017 when a, a little lady with a Catalonian flag came up and said can I march with you and we were like yeah yeah no problem at all not a bother she got all the way to the end and I got up on stage and then she found me on Twitter a year later and said you're the girl that I marched with and then you went on stage and I was like wow um, but, but you know what you inherit these people as you go along we're one big family and if you're from Catalonia or Scotland it's one to us you know, we're, in, we're fighting the same kind of thing. Yeah. Fantastic. And what are you singing for us today, Amanda? Um, I've actually pre-thought this, which is very strange for me. I normally stand up there and go, wow, I don't know what I'm doing. But um, today I'm going to do Freedom Sword by um, Gabby Lindsay. Um, uh, maybe a wee funny Scotland the Brave. Um, as Scots we here because it's definitely necessary. And of course my mishmash, um, <laughs> which is my, my pride and joy. Well, fantastic. And it's great to see a woman up there on the stage because yeah. a lot of the, the other performers are men. Yeah. So good, good on 
you for uh, keeping the end up for the ladies. About, about three years ago, my dad said to me, you do know you'll earn a lot of money in that if you just get rid of the guitar and just start singing tracks. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's an exception to have somebody who fights to try and be as good as they can be in something in a very male-dominated environment. Yes. And um, and for me, that's something that I'm like severely proud of and something that I work at all the time. My voice doesn't always need so much work. I, I hopefully touch wood. That is the case today. Mm. But my guitar work always needs work because it's something I'm, I have two left feet and things. Ask Graham. When you get them <laughs> singing and, and playing and you get me on the dance floor, it's hilarious. It really is. So I don't have natural rhythm, um, but to, to fight at that and to become better at it and respect all all women yeah. in the indie movement, and that means everything to me. So. Brilliant. Thank you very much. We'll have a great time up yeah. there. We're looking forward to hearing you. Absolutely. Thank you ever so much. Have a great day too. Now here's a voice that regular listeners will recognise. It's Marion from Women for Indie Clacks. Tell us again who you've got staying at your bed and breakfast. Oh, hello, Fiona. Uh, yes, bed and breakfast. Uh, we've got the Solheim Cup in town at the moment, and we have a couple from New Jersey supporting the USA, of course. And on the other side of the house, we've got um, people from Liverpool, a couple of women who are keen golfers, and they've come with a busload of other keen golfers. And they're all wearing European flags. They're absolutely emblazoned with the European identity. And uh, so it's great to see all the colour, all the panache. And the women seem to have a kind of a really good handle on non-partisan stuff, but still being able to feel for their team. So great, colourful sporting event on our doorstep at the moment. Lovely to have them. Thanks, Marion. Now we're going to hear from Neil, who has come up with a very, very interesting idea. He has lodged a complaint under Scots law to the Lord Advocate on the basis that he has witnessed a crime, that crime being the theft of our democracy. I'm intrigued. Tell us more, Neil. Yes, I'm here to discuss the, the legal situation we find ourselves in at the moment, which may be very, very confusing to a lot of people. So... Obviously there was a judgment which was very, very important in Scotland where three judges ruled against the Tory government and that continues into next week where it goes to the Supreme Court. In my opinion, Boris Johnson and his cohorts, if you like, are very, very close to not only breaking ordinary laws but they're also very close to breaking Scots law, which is completely different. So what I've done is I've made a complaint of two crimes to the Lord Advocate in, in Edinburgh and said that he's or should be considered to have broken the law here. If you look at the Brexit situation, most of us are just sitting in front of our TVs or reading papers. What we're seeing unfolding before our eyes is the theft of democracy in this country. But sadly, there's so much going on. I, I don't think um, a lot of people understand that um, the, the legal implications of this are slightly different in Scotland than they are uh, in England. The way I've been observing things unfold on the TV, I'm almost like a, a, a witness to events uh, which I feel 
should be lawfully reported to the Procurator Fiscal Lord Advocate so that they could consider if any crimes have taken place. And so if you look at it, reporting things you've seen to the Procurator Fiscal, you normally do that through the police. They're the direct agents who report matters and then the Procurator Fiscal Lord Advocate, if necessary, he considers all the more serious things like murder. But these are usually, people that usually report these things have been directly affected. The sort of thing that we're talking about here is uh, we are, in a sense, affected, but we're not directly involved in it. We haven't been assaulted by the Prime Minister or anything like that. I feel as if I've been assaulted by the Prime Minister. <laughs> my, my civil rights, my European rights have been stripped away. And we, he's removed democracy from the UK by shutting down Parliament, and yeah. we know that's illegal. So when you think about all the various things that have been put up to challenge the Prime Minister, I think Dominic Grieve, who's obviously a very qualified lawyer, and Joanna mm. Cherry also have set a series of um, tests or traps which the Prime Minister and his cohorts have sort of fallen into directly and they, they're backing themselves into a legal nightmare for because I would consider that they're part really of a, a criminal conspiracy now. I don't say that lightly because in Scots law there are specific crimes that might be applied to this. There's a crime that exists in Scots law whereby people in high office who breached the trust of the people that they're bound to serve are guilty of a common law crime. So that generally involves public servants and there's none, no greater a public servant than the Prime Minister. Mm. And uh, in terms of breach of trust, when you consider that um, potentially Boris Johnson has lied to everybody in advance by... Including the Queen. <laughs> including the Queen by saying he had no interest in prorogation. And then he's gone, gone ahead and done exactly that. And it's clear why he's done that, because, I mean, his defence, very, very difficult to see. Uh, he couldn't possibly be found to be honest in this matter. Mm. He was completely dishonest. So when you think about that, and they think that he sent one of his MPs, Jacob Rees-Mogg, to Balmoral, which is on Scottish soil, to do mm. this, then immediately you're in a position where you're thinking uh, he, he's acting along with Boris Johnson and committing a criminal act in yeah. Scotland. And you almost, the fact it was done in a clandestine way, nobody knew they were there, he's sneaked in under cover of darkness just about. That's the kind of thing a criminal does. Of course, and so instead of having a normal agenda, it was just, uh, it all came out that this had happened in through the papers. So it was obviously a premeditated crime. Mm. And... One of the other things, aspects of Scots law as well is the conduct of the accused after the crime is committed. Uh, a lot of people perhaps aren't aware of this, but that can be taken into consideration in Scots law as well. And so when we come back to the, the laws that were put in place by the UK Parliament, which Boris Johnson actually ignored, so the requirement to release the Yellowhammer one effectively complied with it the 11th hour, and the reason for that probably was because he, most of that had already been leaked. However, the requirement to release all the information in relation to uh, the background to the prolegation of Parliament, um, each refused to release that. And in effect, this is conduct after crime because he doesn't want to release that information because it will implicate him in the crime. Ah. So he is compelled by UK law to release that information and... and Ironically, if he does release it, it will implicate him in a crime in Scotland. Further to that, 
by not releasing the information, it's an attempt to, to pervert the course of justice. Uh -huh. uh, so it's like any criminal tries to cover up after their crimes. Yeah. So he's committed one crime and then he, he's committed another one by failing to be honest thereafter and release all this information. Uh -huh. So I already consider, in, in terms of Scots law, the Lord Advocate should consider that these men have put themselves in this position with the intentions of inducing the worst possible result, which is the no-deal Brexit on the 31st of October. And the reason for that was it's basically like shock and awe. They know that by doing that, they can survive as a party. And that is indeed the only way they can survive, because they have to eliminate the, the Brexit party down south. They have to win battle by battle. But sadly, they're not very good at this. And they've no, happily, they're not very good yeah, at it. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say sadly. <laughs> but, I mean, when you look at it um, in terms of the yellow ha hammer documents now, you can look at this as conduct um, which is yet to happen. Because if this is their intention, and they intend to exit with um, no deal, it'll be the poorest people who will suffer. It'll be women who suffer yet again. Yeah. Uh, it'll be death and suffering, a lack of medications. There'll be all sorts of things. And the ultimate responsibility for this is, of course, Boris Johnson and his UK government. And really it's down to the Lord Advocate and other law officers to investigate the matter and stop this in its tracks. It's in a sense as well, it's a political hand grenade because um, if the Lord Advocate was to do anything, he should consider all these things. But if he did, you could imagine the explosive nature of the conversation that would come out in the in the the mainstream media thereafter and the next day criticising the appeal court in Scotland already. I suppose it all comes down to this Tuesday there's going to be a big crunch in the Supreme Court yeah. and the result of that could be absolutely explosive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's astonishing seeing just the amount of venom that's been turned on Scotland from the, the Brexters largely in the southeast of England. Yeah. And, you know, it's everybody who gets in their way is the enemy. And it was, we've had the judges, we've had the foreigners, we've had the Remainers, and now it's the Scots, and yeah. our, yeah. our yeah. turn had to come. Right mm. I mean, Brexit is... Um, the ultimate divide and conquer yeah. thing. It divides and conquers and every every day. It divides and conquers even the Tory party. Yeah. We really are in this dreadful mess. And so we just hope that um, somehow these people will be recognised for what they are and that politics will eventually move on from that. Sadly, I don't think that's going to happen in England. Um, no. I think they, they probably have to go through that learning process themselves yeah. and uh, I'm sure they will come out the other end mm. and maybe their their independent neighbouring country will be able to help them yeah. but not if we get dragged down with them. No, indeed. And Scots law is a valuable tool in our arsenal. Yeah. I, I hope that I've managed to indicate the differences are that Boris Johnson failed to appreciate how Scots law could yeah. impact in these events. You know, you're right, it's a, it is a secret weapon because they pay no attention at all no. to Scots law. Yeah, yeah. So when, when do you expect to hear the results of your application? Well, I mean, it's really just a waiting game, I suppose. Well, listen, let us know when you get a response and we can get you back on the podcast and you can update us. Okay. Well, Neil, thank you very much. That's been fascinating. been joined by Keith Brown who's the MSP for Clackmannanshire and Keith what do you think of the event today? 
It's a great event, a very good turnout. It's, of course, we are Scotland's smallest mainland county, but we have a, a tremendous event. All the more remarkable when you consider there are things happening around the country in other locations. So to have people here from Nairn and the Highlands and across central Scotland is a, a fantastic turnout today. And of course, we're always very conscious in Clackmanager if we're going to be the first to declare at the next referendum like we were at the last. So we're just trying to do everything we can to actually make it a different result this time. So any words for advice, how we get out there and campaign? Well, I think those that are, like you and I, very committed to it, uh, if you just hold that thought in your head, uh, I was in the town hall in 1997 when the manager voted yes, yes to uh, Scottish Parliament and that it should have tax raising powers. And that felt fantastic. And I knew and I predicted beforehand that we would be first. We put a lot of effort into doing it. I was on the council at the time. And we had the eyes of Scotland and to some extent the UK on us. And we won that. And right enough, when Clackmanager votes that way, it almost exactly mirrored the way that Scotland voted. Roll forward to 2014, nearly exactly five years ago, and the reverse was true. Again, this time it was the eyes of the world were on Club Manager because it was going to give an indication of how Scotland was going to vote in this referendum. And uh, we didn't make it, you know, just above 46% of the vote. So I would ask people that are thinking about this, committed to it, to think about what it will feel like that night when we have the referendum count the next time and how it will feel to have gone above that 50% because it's most likely the case. If we can do it here in Club Manager, then it will happen across the rest of Scotland as well. Well, there's a scary thought. No pressure there. And what kind of response are you getting out and about? Do you think that we're, we're getting this? Uh, a lot of it's anecdotal. So obviously you are out and about and you have people coming to the office and I sense a real change. I sense people are emailing me, a young woman very recently, two weeks ago, to say that she'd been a no voter previously, had bought into what she called the lies of the no campaign and was now firmly of the view that Scotland had to be independent and offering any kind of help that she could provide to do that. Also, some people have talked in business and so on who have plainly got a different view, didn't quite see how bad the UK can get to in terms of the breaching of democratic norms, of things like the Defence Secretary being sacked from the Cabinet for leaking national security information is extraordinary, or a UK Government Minister at the dispatch box proposing a motion that he then goes and votes against and then stays in government. I mean, what's happening just now is extraordinary. It's shaking people's faith in this idea that the UK is strong and stable and democratic. And I think uh, my sense is we have uh, really moved forward since uh, 2014. There's only one strong and stable government actually sitting at the moment, isn't there? Because uh, we have, and this is just extraordinary, the fact that you've got a Prime Minister apparently breaking the law, defying the law as laid down by Parliament, and yet there's no Parliament to hold him up for it. It is extraordinary, and if you'd, I mean, I studied political science at university 30 years ago, none of this stuff was even in anybody's kind of scenario. You know, how would you deal with this, or what would be the outfall, uh, the fallout from some of this? This is incredible what's happening just now. Uh, and the UK is trashing its own reputation internationally, and at the same time, I think you're quite right. If you contrast that with Nicola Sturgeon's government, you know, obviously there are always issues around health and education, but an extremely competent government in tune with the majority of people in Scotland, retaining extraordinary levels of support after 12 years in government. Um, and it is the government, it's a grown up in the room in the UK just now. Now I'm seeing that coming from people in the furthest south parts of England saying that, can we not have a, a leader like Nicola Sturgeon? Um, and I think that the, that's borne out because she has stayed in touch with the people. And it's perhaps easier to do that in Scotland, you're subject to more scrutiny, it's not such a big country, but. Um, that, I think, gives real uh, hope for the fact that what uh, she believes in, what I believe in, 
uh, what we all believe in for independence for Scotland um, is made more realistic to people when they see how competent a government we can have and that you can control and hold it to account in a way that's becoming increasingly difficult to do for the UK government. Fantastic, thank you very much Keith, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much <laughs> and good luck. Connie Patterson from Tullybuddy. Oh, you've come all the way from Tullybuddy. Were you on the march with us, Connie? I was on, well, hobble, I hobble <laughs> as quickly as I can, but it's, uh, it's great times on these marches, so I try to go to everyone that I can. And it was not a bad turnout. We were a bit um, unsure how many would come. What did you think? I thought it was great. Uh, if you don't have the quantity, you certainly have the quality because <laughs> everybody was so friendly and I thought there was a great response from the people in the street as well. Yeah. And I see you're wearing a beautiful little heather pin. Where, where's the story of that? Well, one of the women gave it to me because that's what you find in the march. People are kind and always feel that they represent the country we want to be. But it's here for my grandson. Oh, hello. What's your name? Finlay. Hello, Finlay. Did you come on the march? Yes. And what did you think? Great. Good for you. Did you have a flag? Yes. Well done. Are you doing some stone painting? No? He was bashing the hammer. Oh, I heard you bash the hammer. What are you hearing round about, Connie? Do you think people in Clackmannanshire are, are getting the message? I think people are coming more and more towards yes. And I definitely think this is the way to do it, to start lighting the touch paper in the communities. Mm. The communities that may not know what activism is going on. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many are on the march, as soon as people see it, they know it's happening. And I do think people are changing their mind, especially people my age. Because I was absolutely fed up. I was the, kind of the renegade in my age group because I supported independence. And now all the people who were the safe no's, the over 60s who didn't want change, they're beginning to see the absolute mayhem down south and they're coming on board now. And all of a sudden I don't look so daft, you know. <laughs> Ahead of your time, clearly. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, thank you very much, Connie. You're Enjoy welcome. the rest of the day. I just wanted to say the march is great. Oh, thanks very much, Finlay. Next we're going to be chatting to Brian, who viewers of Broadcasting Scotland might recognise as Lewis, who used to work there. He's no longer with Broadcasting Scotland and is now making films for a group called the Scottish Passport Group, who are on Facebook and YouTube, if you want to have a look at them. 45 years I've entertained folk for a living, and uh, I got involved with the indie movement here and um, tried to jostle myself into a kind of position where I could be a little bit of service, I hope. Um, whether I have been, I've got no idea, of course, but it's been fascinating to introduce, you know, interview various different people. Well, Keith Brown today, well, that's a number of times we've met and talked, and uh, uh, last week it was John Swinney and um, Pete Wishart, and um, I, I became very friends with um, Philippa Whitford, so all these wonderful people, and uh, I, 
and now you, Fiona. <laughs> well, I'm looking for some tips because this is our fourth episode of our podcast. So we're very much learning the ropes. So tell us, what makes a good interviewer? Well, actually, a podcast is something that is brand new to me, but it's really like a radio program. You know? my, my, my opinion about all of entertainment and all about broadcasting is the, is the inner self-confidence. And then I think you just let it flow. You, 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 it's listening to what the person says. You know, within the first two or three words that somebody says, you know which way it's going to go, if they're going to have a, an enormous amount to say or if they are going to need a bit of help to, you know, to bring it to something that makes them look good. And that's what you're always trying to do. You, yeah. It's not about you, it's about the person and what they have to say and trying to present that in a way that other folk can, can benefit from it. I mean, what, what I try to do with these ones, because we've been doing these so regularly with all the different marches, I, I do listen to the news during the week and I use that to hang the hat and coat on, you know, because you could say, well, what do you think about Boris Johnson then? And now, someone's got to be able to say something about that. <laughs> and if they haven't, well, then you're thinking, OK, let's talk about the weather or something other. Although you speak a lot, it's always that ability to listen and listen to what people actually say to you, not what, you know, not what you think they say, but what did he say to me? But then, of course, your brain then takes over, doesn't it? And as your brain gets older, you tend to lose it sometimes <laughs> tell me about it <laughs> do you feel that times are changing around us do you think the indie movement is are we just existing in our little bubble or actually are we getting out there it's a good question I, d I do think we're getting out there yes but I do think we do especially in all these different marches we've all been involved in in the last you know well year two years three how many since 2014 isn't it really I, I mean there is a definite crowd and you meet them all and you know each other but then, of course, you see, you get to maybe Edinburgh, the 5th of October, with you all under one banner. And if 100,000 people don't turn out, I'll be very surprised. And that is a huge amount of people. But on the other hand, there's still a lot more people in Scotland that have to be convinced. As Keith Brown said in his speech today, we, we have to make sure... And everybody's got to come with us, because we're going to be independent. And, and, and that is... <coughs> definitely on the cards but I think some people get impatient it's not a win this is a destination that we're heading towards and it won't finish once we've got independence because then things will really start to happen because the whole of the different political landscapes will change people will take their different positions and all of a sudden you'll get people vying to be the prime minister or the president whatever we call it of Scotland and that'll make such a difference to everybody but I do think we're getting there yes I really do even my very unionist Orange Order neighbour even said that Nicola Sturgeon wasn't such a bad character the other day. So there must be a movement in that. Well, that must be progress. I think it's interesting thinking that we only have to look at the way Brexit was handled from beginning to end, actually, to, to now, to have a blueprint for exactly how not to do it. So if we just do the opposite and instead of demonising people, actually try and bring them with us. And once we once we get that yes vote, there's still going to be a chunk of people, hopefully not a huge chunk of people, who wanted a no vote. And we've got a choice. You can either say, shut up, Ramoners, <laughs> in the same way as Brexit did, or you can say... Okay, come with us. What would you like? What's what are your views? And I think that I'm sure that with the government that we've got, I'm sure that will be uppermost on their mind because we know what happens if you get it wrong. I will come out and say that I'm an SNP supporter. See if she's I do the like ball. the way they do things. I like the progressiveness of it. I'm not disheartened by the Greens either. I mean, I think that that's a very important thing. And sometimes Tommy Sheridan gets me wound up, and I think, wow, I'd love that because I like that social. But as long as it's got a, a kind of a left 
feeling to yeah. it, a, a left-leaning thing to it. And, and I think really it's very important as we go around not to keep making statements, not to keep uh, pushing this thing at people, but to ask them questions. If you ask questions, you can't really go wrong because you could just ask the question and then you hear the answer, which is really what we're doing, you and I, uh, to try and get things out of people because people can't be convinced with anything. You cannot win an argument. That's not a possibility, so forget the idea. What you can do is you can say, well, give me a couple of things you think that the union bring to Scotland. Now, you get person to answer that one. That's quite a tough question to answer. You know, why do you think that? You know, and just keep, why? Why? You know, tell me about this. What do you think? And let them talk themselves into it. That's my opinion uh, of the way we should all be heading. Not, not the, the confrontation will not work. The arguments will not work. But asking people what they think, because opinion, although opinion doesn't really have a value, because it's just opinion, people love to give it. Yeah. Well, when I, before I retired, I was um, I used to get involved with company engagement programs and things. And one of the concepts we used to use was future, engage, deliver. And for any big organisational change, you need, you, first you need a, a vision of what the future is going to be, and then you need to engage people in it. And that's quite a lengthy process. You can't just do yeah. that. And you and a lot of people will, will take diff, take their own sweet time to get on board with it. But that's so important because at the end you've got to deliver this, and you can only deliver it if you. You put the groundwork in to get people involved and I don't think that necessarily changes on a sort of constitutional level are any different you can't do it without bringing people with you you see you, you, you must always allow for the fact that people's brains don't instantly change from one thing to the next the dendrites have to connect well thank you very much that was lovely to hear your tips I'm Cody Fan. And what is your face painted like? Pikachu. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Hello, and I'm here with uh, Lorna Slater, who's um, just flown, not probably not flown, who's just appeared in Aloha <laughs> at the Yesenland Community Event. Hello there, Lorna. What do you think of um, Aloha so far? It's wonderful. This event is fantastic. There's music, there's people, there's kids, there's bikers. It's very exciting. What a lot of energy. It's so exciting to see so much energy in the Yes movement. It is, and it's great that it's local as well. One of the things we wanted to do, instead of just the marches, which are great, but to actually be here so we can bring people in who maybe aren't indie supporters and make them part of it. So it's, it's a bit of an adventure for us. So what have you been up to? You've been, been uh, just become co-convener of the Greens, is that the right title? So we've changed our titles. We did, you know, it's, uh, we've recently had a restructure in the party, so we now have the party uh, co-leader is our new term. So when after the last independence referendum, like the SNP, the Greens quadrupled in size overnight, and we found that our party internal structures that worked fine for a party of 2,000, they worked less well for a party of 10,000. So we've spent the last couple of years sort of restructuring and reorganizing. And then, and yeah, so that's the kind of culmination of this, is that we have broken up the old role of co-convener into different roles, and what, uh, the spokesperson role is now co-leader. So Patrick Harvey and I are the co-leaders of the Scottish Green Party. 
Well, you've already said something that inspired me, and it was actually you were at a, uh, an event with Yes Stonehaven, mm. uh, which was live streamed, and I saw the live stream, and there was a bit where you were explaining that you'd done something, whatever it was, and, <laughs> and you said, yes, it's hard, but that's okay, we can do hard things, and I thought, what a fantastic line, and I've used it about 20 times since then, so... It's a really good line. So the thing that I did was I was chosen as one of 80 women from around the world to travel to the Antarctic to study leadership and climate change. And that was one of the phrases that we talked about on that trip as well, was that we can do hard things. We know that tackling climate change is going to be hard. We know that working toward an independent Scotland is going to be hard. But that's okay. We can do hard things. And I think that's really important to remember because it's very easy to look at something hard oh it's just it's just too hard and we can't pretend that working towards an independent Scotland is going to be easy or that building a new country no one said building a new country was going to be easy but we can do hard things I'm so glad that phrase stuck with you I think about it a lot yeah, absolutely it did and it's lovely to hear it explained there sort of much more cogently than I just put it across but uh, yeah I think you do um, it's very easy to to get obstacles thrown up and people go, oh well, okay, currency, oh well, we won't have currency, what can we possibly do? Well, yes, we can have a currency, and okay, it might, I don't know that it will be that hard to put a new one in place, but even if it is, we can do hard things. It's just, it's a go-to phrase for me now, so thank you for that. <laughs> so what's your next step in your new role? Well, our next thing that we're looking at in the Scottish Greens, of course, is the Holyrood elections in 2021. We're all hoping to return a pro-independence majority to Holyrood, and we ourselves are hoping to win many more MSPs, in particular women MSPs. You'll know that we have a, a very a poor gender balance in our MSPs. We have six MSPs, but unfortunately only one woman. And it's something that we found very frustrating. We have revamped our internal procedures to stop this from happening again, hopefully. And uh, I've organi I'm organizing the Women's Network at the moment. So we're identifying potential candidates. We're going through a selection process, and then we're going to support these really fantastic, talented women toward Holyrood. So the new Holyrood parliamentary team, it will be an unstoppable force. Well, that sounds wonderful. And from Women for Independence and Clack Manager, best of luck with that. Thank you very much. And what else have you been up to this week, Lorna? Well, last night I was very lucky. I got invited to the uh, Business for Scotland dinner, uh, and I was at the top table where I was very lucky to sit next to Nicola Sturgeon. I, I was, she was so lovely and so professional, and she shook my hand and said hello, and I sort of went, Hi, I'm wildly out of my depth. Uh, but she was, she, isn't she a star? And she spoke. I think for about half an hour she gave the keynote speech and while she did take notes with her on stage she never looked at them once and she ended up doing a sort of impromptu comedy act with Janie Godley that was marvellous I mean they were the two of them are such a party it was, it, was, it was fun it was funny it was inspiring it was absolutely brilliant I very much enjoyed being there and the purpose of the evening was to launch this book Scotland the Brief which has in it it's a short book which has the facts and figures in it for the new economy in an independent Scotland and it's because it's something that we all in the independence movement get thrown at us a lot well you know too poor too we all this stuff and this book is really handy because it means you've got the facts and figures right there you can say nope we have 25% of all the renewable energy in Europe nope we've got you know this much tidal energy we've got this much forestry we've, we've got it we can do it other small countries do this and and we can absolutely do this 
nothing that Scotland is working toward in the independence movement is anything that hasn't been done before. Countries have become independent before. Countries have created new currencies before. Countries have joined the European Union before. This is, we are not breaking new ground in that respect. All we're doing is putting the pieces together in a way that makes sense for us. So we've just been talking there about what an impressive um, speaker Nicola Sturgeon is and how she can talk with her notes. So is that something you find that you're getting to grips with? Is it a challenge? Well, I really enjoy public speaking. And if I'm speaking on a topic that I'm familiar with, then I'm happy to speak without notes. Uh, I'm actually, the thing that I'm less comfortable with is speaking on television to camera. So I've done a lot of public speaking and performing my whole life, but the camera stuff is new. So I've been on television three times, and the first two times I was absolutely bricking it terrified. And so that's something that I need to work on myself is getting used to that, because it, it's different when you're talking to an audience, because there's a bit of human interaction. Yeah, people, you can tell whether people are understanding what you're saying, whether they're enjoying it, you can make eye contact with a camera. It's just a sort of this, this dead eye, and it's I find that that really difficult to speak without that feedback so yeah that's something I definitely need to work on it's, it's, we're finding the same with the podcast actually because it, there's not an immediate audience there so trying to find things when you're not really sure who's listening or, or you'd like to think somebody's listening but when you're not sure who it is it's hard to pick well what are the things they'll find interesting and that will resonate with them so I just am going by well if I find it interesting then somebody else out there will but you, it, it is difficult without that feedback yeah. Podcasting is a lovely format, I think, because it allows conversations to flow more smoothly. And I think they're quite relaxing for people to listen to when they're pottering about the house or walking to the shops, because it means you're listening to real people talking in a real way. We're not scripted. We are just speaking like we would normally speak. We're not pre-preparing anything. And I, I, they're all dead easy to make. I've started doing them for the Greens as well. Uh, so yeah, please tune in to the Scottish Green podcasts as well. And yeah, just as you say, just a way of getting the word out there in a really easy format. Yeah. And we've just managed to get on iTunes. So Clack's uh, Women for Indie podcast is, should be searchable for most um, podcast engines, whatever you're using. And I shall have a look for the Greens one as well. Thank you very much, Lona. And that's all from our Yes in the Community special coming from Aloha. Big thank you to everybody who came and talked to us. That was lovely. As the wonderful Independence Live always say, don't hate the media, become the media. And you can hear this podcast uh, broadcast on IndieLive.radio, usually twice in the week. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to get your podcasts. You can also get um, previous episodes on um, IndieLive.radio's website. You can contact us via our Facebook page as well, which is Women for Independence Clackmannanshire, or on Twitter at ClaxWFI. Our next meeting will be on the 30th of September, and we'll have details of that on the Facebook site, probably slightly nearer the time. Okay, till we see you next time. Bye.